Amazing Grace. I'm going to tell you something. The people in the Taj Majeri or the Taj Majones, wherever they call that crazy stadium, ain't got nothing on you all. You know in whom you have believed. You know the grace and the power of the one who saved you. That's awesome. Think about the term grace. Can you describe it? Really? I was sitting in, a, in my office on Tuesday evening with a couple who was about to get married. And we were talking about the things that make up a good marriage, the foundations of a good marriage. We were talking about that sort of thing. And one of the things that came up was the concept of grace. And I, I looked at both of them. I said, tell me what grace is. God's riches at Christ's expense. Somebody left me that. God's redemption. I got this one. Somebody left this laying on my, I don't know when they, when they brought it, but it was laying here. It wasn't here after the first service, but when I went to the second service, there it was. God's redemption at Christ's expense. But, you know, for us to really to think about really what grace is, you have a hard time getting your mind around it sometimes? I mean, really, what, what, what is it? What, how do you describe it? How? It's, it's a, it's, it's, it, I mean, if you, you can't really grab, grab it too much. Even when I think of the, the words of that song, if, if, if over the next few weeks you're going you're to hear a couple of different renditions about it. And the, the amazing thing about grace is grace reaches us all as we follow Christ. Grace, it makes no difference where we come from or what we've done or where we're going. Grace somehow and its amazingness of, of it, it, it reaches us. I, I, I was this week contemplating what the, you know, we, we kind of, I, I kind of like having like some sort of illustration that makes you think about what we've been talking about all week, you know what I mean? And I was, went out and I, I wanted to get this cross out of the, out of the garage and this used to be in the youth building when I was a youth pastor. And I, I went and found it. There used to be a, there used to be a base to it. It just sat right in. Couldn't find the base and I was trying to figure out what I was going to do. God's grace reaches to us um, sometimes when we least expect it. And sometimes things look accidental when they're not. And that's the grace of God that happens in our lives. And I was here in Thomas and a couple of guys were here working on some things. And uh, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And Thomas was like, dude, why don't you take those rocks? That's a, that's a, that's a great idea. If, I, if we were Timon and Pumbaa, I'd go, you know what Thomas going to do with that cross? Bring you those rocks. You know, Puma comes up with a great idea, and Timon kind of reiterates and gets credit for it. You know, you remember that? You know? If I'd been thinking, I'd have, I'd have done that. But I started thinking about, you know, God dropped this, this, this message here in my heart on a Wednesday morning about halfway through the awakening. It was like, it was like a supernatural download. I can't even really describe it. I wasn't, studying, I wasn't reading about grace. I was doing my devotion early before the sun came up one morning, and it was on a Wednesday. And I was sitting there, and all of a sudden it was just like, Zoo. Like, you know, you ever have one of those supernatural download moments where God just goes, yeah, and it just kind of, and everything's there. And I knew, man, I knew the scripture references. I knew the songs and the rendition of the song. I, I, I wanted, as soon as I got to the church that day, I started sending out an email. Hey, Patrick, hey, some other people. I need these songs to, to come up with something so we can use, because, and I knew scriptures and story. I mean, just like that, like in a nanosecond. I didn't really put it together, but then after yesterday, when these rocks were sitting here around this thing, after me and the guys stacked them around, it hit me why God would have us do grace. Or after the time we've gone through with the fasting. Because you see, it'd be really easy for us to start thinking about how spiritual we are. Man, we've just gone through weeks of fasting. Aren't we something? And we must be a church that really got it going on. Oh boy, I'll, look. And God would go. Let's keep some balance here. It was only my grace that led you into that thing in the first place. It's only going to be your my grace going to sustain you for the rest of your life. We could build the altars because we've done we've had these rocks. My mom, these are my, these most of these rocks. Actually, all these rocks came from my mom and dad's house. She's going to let us keep some of them to decorate our our flower bed. And like two weeks ago, she's like, "Why don't you just keep those rocks? Because you keep coming back and getting them." It'd be real easy because we've been talking about almost since August where these rocks keep making an appearance. And it, it talks about from Second Peter chapter 1 about us adding to our faith. And it'd be really easy for us to, to, to keep thinking we're building something. But the thing that divides all of history, the thing that divides all of humanity is an exclamation point that took place around the year 33 A.D. 
God planted exclamation point in the middle of history, in the middle of humankind. He, exclam- he, he, he exclaimed his, his glory, his grace, his love with an ugly wooden cross with, with nails and, and crowns of thorns and things of that nature. And just like grace, we look at that and as, as, as this wood is rough cut, these rocks are gnarly, those thorns are horrible, and somehow at the same time, in the abstractness of it, that is a beautiful sight to us. And you really can't describe it exactly. And the grace of God reaches down to us. And he gives to us. And he gives to us. I, I was in Walmart yesterday, and I told my wife this. See, so ran into a guy I haven't seen in a, real, in a long time. Don't, don't have any interaction with him. As fourth, fifth, and sixth graders, we played flag football together. His name's Chuck Miller. And he was the quarterback. He was the glory boy, the blonde hair, blue eyes, the whole nine yards. You know what I mean? At fourth, fifth, sixth grade, dude was dipping already. His mom was a godly mama. Lived right across the street from some friends of mine I went to church with most of my life. Ran into Chuck yesterday at Walmart. Man, Chuck, what's happening, buddy? Hey, man, he's going to church at Assembly of God Church out on Western Avenue. Really good friend of mine, Sean Howard, pastor's there. And we were standing there, and you know what? He's, He's... Chuck is leading worship. Next Sunday night, he'll be preaching the message at their church, talking about the heart of God. And we're standing in Walmart. And he goes, he starts to do this. He does this. He goes, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. I said, Chuck, that's what I'm preaching on tomorrow. He said, Aaron, only the grace of God can take tobacco away from a guy and keep him free from it. Only the grace of God can take the alcohol away. Only the grace of God can take a guy who has no purpose and give him purpose and give him a a holy and divine and eternal destiny. And he's in in Walmart in the men's department. (laughs) He said, I had a praying mama. I said, I remember June. Oh, boy. He said, but it's the grace of God. Boy. The grace of God. We try and put our mind around what the grace of God is, what it looks like. If you go to a dictionary, you'll find that there are all kinds of definitions. In fact, the, the, the new, the new uh, American Oxford Dictionary, I think, is the one I referred to. I'm lost. Forgive me. I'm all sideways and sidetracked. The New Oxford American History describes it like this. It's a noun. A noun means a person, a place, or a thing. It's something. You got it? It's a noun. It means this, according to them, the free and unmerited favor of God as a manifest in the salvation of sinners and the bestowal of blessings. But the funny thing about it is that they, did, they couldn't stop there with that definition. Because grace can be a simple elegance or a refinement of movement, or courteous goodwill, an attractively polite manner of behaving. You heard somebody, that's a person of grace. You ever heard anybody say something like that? Boy, she's gracious, he's gracious. There can also be a prayer that's prayed for thankfulness over a table of food. Grace uh, can be, have to do, many of us maybe enjoy this one. You ever heard of a grace period? Aren't you glad we live in the most amazing period of grace that exists? Better than the grace period uh, Capital One or Bank of America or any of them are going to give you. Are you with me? We live in an ultimate period time of grace. Is that amazing? I mean, grace is like this big, wild, amazing thing. And yet somehow we just, we're trying to get our grip really what it is. Vine's expository dictionary of New Testament words, likewise, is multifaceted how it tries to describe what grace looks like. One definition says it's goodwill, loving kindness, and favor. But I like this one the best. It says it's of the merciful kindness by which God 
Grace is a person. Grace is really not a thing. We may live in a time of grace. We may know where to find grace, but grace in its purest form is a person by which God. But what does God do? By exerting his influence on, upon souls. Listen to that. Exerting his holy influence upon souls turns them to Christ. Grace is a person. Keeps, strengthens, increases them in Christian faith, in knowledge, affection, and kindles them to the exercise of the Christian virtues. Grace is distributed to us in the form of a person. Grace is not just a thing. Grace is not just an abstract element we're trying to get our minds around. Grace is a person. The person of grace is the person of Christ. Some of you are looking at me like, well, I already know that, and I've been in church all my life. Listen, we have not yet tapped deeply into the grace of God so much that we have a hold on it. Jesus is beyond description. Jesus is beyond our ability to really put words together that can really describe all that he is, all that he does, all that he bestows. And so if we ever think that, man, maybe we got this thing figured out, I think we're in a scary spot. I think we really are. In John 1, 16, John, the apostle, tries to, with all of his might, describe this person. In fact, he starts at the very beginning of verse 1 and begins to describe this person of grace. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with him. And by all things, all things were created by him. And he keeps referring to this person. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, he'll say in verse 14. He was the light that shined in the darkness, and the darkness could not comprehend it. The darkness did not mean the darkness could not understand. The real translation of that word comprehend means that the darkness could not conquer the light. And in verse 16, he continues to try to describe who this person of grace is. The New King James Version will read like this. From the fullness of His grace, we have all received one blessing after another. The New Living Translation, which I normally quote to you from and read from, says like this. From His abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. The message would read like this. We all, listen to these words, we all live off of. We all live off of. His generous bounty, gift after gift after gift after gift. That's what it says there. Today's New International Version reads like this. I like the way this reads. Listen to this. Out of His fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. We all receive grace in place of grace already given. Think about that for just a second. Think about the depth of that statement. God gives grace, and once we have grace, He replaces grace with more grace. And when we get that grip on that grace, He replaces it with more grace and more grace. Wow, is that awesome? Wow. Here's something we have to understand. Grace is something that must be expressed for it to be actualized. Remember when you were not walking with Christ. Maybe some of you are sitting here are not walking with Christ, and you've heard people talk about the grace of God, and you really can't get your mind on it. You can't get yourself around it. You're trying to, and you, really, what is that? And then that one day, you found yourself kneeling at an altar in prayer, coming to grips with the person of Christ, 
Or you're driving down the road in your car and life has just done everything it can at you and you realize you can't live it by yourself or you turn to the person of Jesus. Or you're laying in bed at night and mind's running 100 miles an hour and all the things your grandmother said to you and your mom prayed over you and, and those friends at work and school talk to you about are cycling around and you come to the knowledge of the saving knowledge of Christ and all of a sudden that abstract, that ethereal thing called grace suddenly becomes very real and like you, what? You actually get a grip kind of on it. What it's and all those words just stop being words. They became real to you. Do you remember that moment? Anybody there with me? Your grandma would talk about the grace of God, and you couldn't really quite place really what it was. But that moment in time, you go, "Wow, that's awesome!" Wow, my goodness, that grace still gives. We must see it, or experience it be affected by it, or benefit from it for us really to begin to get a grasp on it. I can believe I'm a gracious person. But until I extend it, that is never actualized. I can offer grace to my wife for some reason or another. Usually it's the other way around. Am I right? Um, She's just smiling like, But unless I receive it, it has no effect on me. It must be expressed. It must be received. And at that point, something happens. God extends through the person of Christ an expression of grace. And he extends it, but it's not until we, we, we feel it. It's not until it hits us in the middle of our chest. You know what's amazing? Oh, I'm going to get ahead of myself. God wants it to be something that radically changes our lives, and he extends it to every one of us. It must be expressed to be actualized. I found this in a, in a, in a commentary. Listen to these words, man, it's amazing. It comes to Christians as waves continue to come to the shore. The Christian life is the constant reception. See, that's that's, that's it. You see what I'm saying? We think we receive grace at one point in time. We've made a commitment to the person of Christ, and all of a sudden we get grace. But grace doesn't stop at that one moment. Grace just keeps coming. It keeps coming, and it keeps coming, and it keeps coming, and it keeps coming. Christian life is the constant reception of one of, of, of one of one evidence of God's grace replacing another. Last Saturday morning, a bunch of us guys got together and we ate breakfast together right across the hallway there in the cafe. Brian Weiskup, who kind of leads our men's ministry, um, showed us a video by Dr. James Merritt. and He was talking about the, the, the story of the life of David and how the, the, David had, check this out, we'll talk about grace. David had slept with another man's wife. Well, let's go back from that. He should have gone off to war fulfilling his purpose. He decided to stay home. The Bible says, for a man who knows to do right and to him to not do it, you know what they call that? Sin. David knew what he should have been doing. He chose to do something else. And then suddenly he finds himself staying on a roof, finds a nice-looking lady taking a bath, and at that point something begins to happen in his heart the Bible would call lust. And Jesus said, for a man to have lust after a woman in his heart, he's already committed adultery with her already. So David's not been about his purpose. He finds himself on a roof, lusting after a woman. Not only does he stop there, he goes and has people go get her. He sleeps with her. She becomes pregnant. He tries to get this guy's, he tries to bring Uriah the Hittite, one of his main uh, leaders in his army, to come home to sleep with his own wife. So when they discover she's pregnant, David doesn't get any blame. Uriah is such a man of integrity, he refuses because the rest of his guys are on the battlefield. He said, I'm not doing that. No, 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 no. David even tried to, get him, uh, uh, tried, tried to get him every way he could think of to get him to do that. He wouldn't. Then when Uriah doesn't go for it, David has the man killed. Uh-huh. And then covers it up. Huh. How about the grace of God? And God extends grace in the life of David through a prophet named Nathan. 
And David comes to recognition of his own depravity and his lostness. And at a point in time when David should have been killed, because that was the law, David finds an expression of the grace of God like he had never experienced ever in his life. Wow. But you see, that wasn't the first time David experienced the grace of God. That was probably the crowning moment of grace in David's life, probably. You see, there was this situation with this bear in a field one day. And God's grace extended to David in the field. There was another time when this lion showed up. And the grace of God washed over David with this lion. There was this other situation where his nation was throwing themselves at war. And there's this guy named Goliath who's a giant that nobody else will fight. And David decides, the young man, he's going to go fight this giant. And the grace of God met David there. And then once that happens, check this out. The guy who's supposed to be David's leader and his, his, his help begins to chuck spears at David. And the grace of God continued to be poured into David's life. And he would find himself in battle after battle after battle. And God's grace was there. Every moment of every day, God's grace was reaching towards David. And here we find the crowning moment of David's encounter with grace. All of us have had waves like that. I was just talking to Shadra Jenkins. Her, her kids are both going to school in Florida, not far, far from where I used to live. And we gave Shadra some ideas of some couple places to go. And she came up to me afterward, after, before service this morning, she was that where you guys go and hang out all the time when you go to Florida? I'm like, that's it. Like that. Oh, see her eyes right there. See, it's a wave after wave. You've been to the ocean. You stay out there on the beach with that nice, soft Gulf of Mexico sand between your toes. If everybody says you can't be the Gulf of Mexico, I'm just telling you. That's just me. I've been, I, I, over the last few years, I've seen the Indian Ocean, I have seen the Caribbean Sea, I have seen the Pacific Ocean, I've seen the Atlantic, I've been on the, I'm going to tell you what, Lake Erie has nothing on the Gulf of Mexico. Anyway, um, Lake Michigan has nothing on, anyhow, and you go out there to that ocean, and wave just keeps coming and coming and coming. While we were there this year, this year I, was, I was out on, on, on the deck, kind of looking out over the ocean where we were staying, and the moon was about this big in the sky, glistening on the water. And I walked out there, took a video camera, just sat it up on a tripod and let it run so I could have this. The grace of God is like that. It just keeps coming. And it grants peace, and it grants hope, and it grants solace and solitude. It just keeps coming. The grace of Jesus just keeps coming. He keeps coming at us. You know, there's, there's times when we go out to the Gulf of Mexico, my, my kids and I, and it's just it's, it's very calm, but it just keeps coming. And you can, you can play and, and frolic out there and stuff like that. And girls like that term because they think of the meadow, you know. And, um, and, uh, <laughs> But there are days when those waves stop being those little ones. And they get like that, and you can ride them. <laughs> and sometimes the grace of God is soft and gentle, and other times it's like it beckons you to come, jump on, and hang on tight. And there's nothing like it. I, I just, it just keeps going. And God's grace is like that. There are times where it's just peaceful, and it just, oh, it almost lost. There's other times where God's voice is calling and he says, come ride with me. And you get caught up in the power of it and the strength of it. It's amazing. And it just keeps coming and it keeps coming. It keeps coming. Shadrach came up after first service and she encouraged the people, listen, in order to get to the water, you have to get in the water. You have to go to it. If you've never been at the ocean, you don't get what I'm talking about. You've got to go there. You don't understand what I'm talking about until you come to the person of Christ where that wave comes from. You're dry and weary. and It's been a long time since you've been to the beach. You need to come back, spiritually speaking, come back. You hear what I'm saying? Grace after grace after grace. Blessing after blessing after blessing. Gift after gift after gift after gift. Wow. Wave. 
I'm lost. I don't know why my notes are all screwed up. I think somebody changed them all on me or something. Where's Steve Gilliland? Or Jim Wolfe? He goes on to describe this thing called grace. In verse 17. The law was given through Moses. He says. Really important piece of the puzzle here is... God said at one time, he took his finger from heaven. He took these stone tablets with his very finger. He begins to write what was right and what was wrong. With his own hand, God came down, etched things in stone with his own finger, the Bible tells us, to to give us bearing and understanding of right and wrong. Listen to me, people. Our culture will lead you astray. There is such a thing as right and wrong. Those things are not relative. Those things are determined by a guy we call God. He has set those things in motion. They are true. They will always be true. Are you hearing me? And so God sent that through Moses, that law thing through Moses. We're doing a thing with our kids, by Josh McDowell, our devotions with our kids, where he, he talk, he, the whole thing is talking about the solidity of, of, of right and wrong. And it's powerful because the Scripture says the law came through Moses. But then he doesn't stop there. He says, but grace and truth came through Christ. Check this out. Law, law, we know we have to respect law. We know we have to respect the Constitution. We have to, we have to respect the code of, of the, the, the state of Ohio. If we mess up, the law will tell us this is right, this is wrong, you do this amount of time, blah, 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 that kind of thing. Am I right? Anybody know that? We respect law. Sometimes in our culture and the system we exist in, we don't know if we can trust law. Because some, certain people don't pay for doing things wrong. Some people have done nothing wrong and still pay. And so, law can be respected. It can't necessarily always be trusted. When I saw that couple the other day in premier counseling, there's a foundation of what we built our, our, our house on as, as Christians and, and a family, husband and wife. There are several pillars that make up the foundation. On one side, the far side, the one, one of the most important things we have is love, trust, and respect, okay? Love, trust, and respect. On the other side is grace, mercy, and forgiveness. And they kind of hold up the rest of the house, okay? Law we can respect, but doesn't necessarily have to trust and law and truth are kind of related although they are not exactly the same thing truth is stable and sure truth stands the test of time the bible says the word of god which is truth will stand everything else will pass away everything else is shifting sand so where law can barely be respected, it can't necessarily always be trusted, truth comes alongside of law and goes, you can trust me on this. Take that to the bank. All right? So we got the law coming with Moses, and then truth is one of the things Jesus brings to us. Matter of fact, he didn't just bring truth to us. He is the person of truth. In John 14, he tells this, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. You got me? So right now in this passage of Scripture, we have a law, that should be respected. We have truth that should be trusted. When you operate in truth, you can take it to the bank. Certain things are going to happen and certain things are not going to happen. When you operate in truth, you can bank on that God's going to be there. He's a person, he's a, he's a God of his word. He's not a man that he should lie. He can be trusted. But God doesn't stop there with the person of Christ. The scriptures say grace and truth came through Christ. And that's where the love factor came in. Love, trust, and respect. Grace brings love into the equation. The New American Standard Version says this, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. The New Living Translation says this, For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. The message reads like this, We got the basics from Moses, and this exuberant giving and receiving, the endless knowing and understanding, all this came through Jesus. 
Wow, is that a mouthful? Why is that important? Listen to these words. God, God, grace is God's favor and kindness bestowed on those who do not deserve it and cannot earn it. If God dealt with us only according to truth, none of us would survive. The truth is, we have all broken the law. The truth is, we have all transgressed. We have sinned, we have lied, we have cheated, we have stolen, we have lusted, we have whatever. Every, everyone sitting here in my voice under the, has done every one of those things. In fact, the Bible says if we break one piece of law, we've broken the whole thing. If we just have law and truth, we, none of us make it. None of us have hope. None of us have anything to look forward to. Because truth says, you are messed up, you need punished. My kids, we all have this. Rachel, have you and I ever had a conversation with our kids? Telling them, this is how you tell a good lie. Ever. Did we tell them how to avoid sure consequence? Have we ever, ever done that? Covering things up? Have we ever sat down with a game with them and said, this is how you cheat to win. What am I saying? I'm saying, listen, it starts real early, and it's just there. We can't remove it. We can do anything about it. It's just there. And truth would dictate to us that we're not going to make it. But let's keep reading. He says here, but he deals with us on the basis of grace and truth. Jesus Christ in his life, his death, and his resurrection met all the demands of the law. Now God is free. I never thought of that statement. Now God is free. God is free. Because of the person of Christ and the grace exuded through Christ, God is now free to do something he was not capable of doing prior to that moment. Wow, is that crazy? God is free. To share fullness of grace with those who trust Christ. Listen to this next line. Grace without truth would be deceitful. Parents, let me give you a really good way of messing up your kid's life. Operate only on the basis of grace. Never make them deal with the consequences of them messing up. Never make them come to grips with the fact when they make certain decisions, something's going to happen. Because you know what happens when you operate only on the basis of grace? It's deceitful. You know what you create? Spoiled brats. If God dealt with us only on the basis of truth, we would all be condemned. We would live in a constant state of condemnation. One of the greatest things I've ever had to offer my kids is also showing them what's right and what's wrong, but also at times be able to go, you really screwed up. But you know what? I love you. Oh my goodness, I love you. It's beyond description how much I love you. Am I right? My, my, two of my daughters are sitting over there. One of them's like, all right, I've already heard this once already today. The other one's smiling at me like she wants to get brownie points or something for later. I'm paying attention to that, really, really. Grace and truth. Grace adds a personal touch. Grace changes everything. My, I don't know who, whoever touched my notes. I, I want to read you a piece of scripture that's not in the translation I have in my Bible, so I'm trying to find the right place. There it is. Uh, somebody's going to need a good dose of grace when this is all over with. The amazing thing about grace is this. Grace is a person. And the reason that it's amazing is because he showed us something we before could not have realized or understood. John 1.18 says this. Says this. In the message, it reads like this. No one has ever seen God, not so much as a glimpse, this one-of-a-kind God expression 
who exists at the very heart of God. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is the one-of-a-kind God expression, who exists at the very heart of God, has made Him plain as day to us. New King James says, He's in the bosom of God, He has declared Him. The NIV says this, The one who's at the Father's side has made him known. The New American Standard says this, God who is in the, who's begotten in God, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. New Living Translation says, no one has ever seen God, the unique one who himself is God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. The TNIV says this, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. Today, You want to know who the grace of God is. The grace of God is the person of Christ. He operates in truth and grace. He will force us to grow in character and wisdom. He will cause us to understand love like we've never seen before or experienced or able to walk in. He can do that. You want to see an ultimate... Think of the person of Christ. A lady is drug out in the middle of the street. In my mind, she's either completely naked or mostly naked. A bunch of guys are holding rocks. I'm pretty sure there was weeping and all that sort of thing. Tears streaming down her face. Law comes knocking. Jesus, we've caught this one in the very act of adultery. First of all, that's the epitome of religiousness. Because my question to you is this, where is the guy? The old saying goes, it takes two to tango. Am I right? Where is he? My guess is he's in the crowd holding a rock. And they begin to accuse Jesus. The law says, Jesus, this woman should be stoned. What say you? Jesus answered. I really don't know what Jesus was writing. The scripture don't make it clear. I think it's funny they ask him what he says, and he's writing in the dirt. Stands up, backs away from what he wrote. You who's without sin, let, let's you throw the first one. My thinking is, this is just, I don't have scripture to back this up. This is just kind of how I fictionalize it in my mind because I like to put flesh on stuff. I think there's a list of names in the dirt. Probably people standing in that crowd who are guilty of the same thing they're trying to stone this girl for. I think one of them, the one that got on the top of the list, he goes, throw the first stone. If it was him, and they drop their rocks and they walk away. And Jesus, as only Jesus could do, he operates in grace and truth. He goes, woman, where, where's, where's those people who condemn you? And she says, there are none. He says, I don't condemn you either. There's love. But he does not stop there. He looks at her and he goes, go and sin He took the concept of grace and truth and he smushes them together. Is that a good word? And a girl's life experiences the person of God, the grace that only he can give, and her life is radically transformed. She is neither condemned nor is she free to just go about her business. Oh my goodness. Would to God that all of us could learn to function like that. Grace and truth functioning together to transform a life. Ah! Because see, some of us sitting in this room right now are the girl. Right now, we feel guilty. We feel condemned. We feel messed up. We feel horrible. Some of us are the guy who's playing a good game, 
playing a good church game, standing there, and knows I've messed up this week, and kind of kind of hanging in the background, like, hope nobody asks me any questions. Hope nobody wants to know what's going on. And I'm here at church, and I'm doing my religious duty, but I, I'm, I just had an argument with my wife this morning, and we're trying to act like things are happy, but they're really not. I acted in rage. You know, maybe you're the woman who got on the phone with one of your friends this week and you said some things about somebody else you shouldn't have said and they hit you all week and you're just here playing a, right now you feel like you're playing a church game because the Holy Spirit's convicting you and you're kind of trying to hang out in the crowd. And, and some of us, it's been so long since we've really tapped into the grace of God where the rest of the Pharisees standing there with rocks in our hands. We're so connected to law and truth that we forgot about grace and our experience with Christ is just dried up and it's ugly and it's nasty and everything's, you know. And you know what's funny? The grace of God is reaching toward every one of us. Wave after wave after wave. And Jesus is the one riding in the dirt. To some of us, he's saying, I love you. You're not condemned. Others of us, he's saying, I know what happened. And I love you anyway. Let's pick it up and take it. And some of us, he's saying, would you straighten up and act right and start living life the way I want you to? Because you know what? You don't have it all together either. Let's get back on the right track. The Apostle Paul writes, in, John, in Philippians chapter 3, he said, that thing that grabbed a hold of me, I'm still chasing. You see, it makes no difference if we're on our first day with Jesus or our 10th year or our 25th year of, of being at church. The grace of God apprehended us at one point in time, and God intends that that grace in the person of Christ is a journey and an adventure we never cease to be running on ever the rest of our lives. And grace keeps being replaced with more grace. Grace never ends. Grace did not stop the day you got saved. Patrick often refers to July the 14th. Is that right? 1991. The grace of God showed up huge and big time in your life. Is that right? Almost 19 years, it'll be, almost, it'll be 20 years ago this year, right? At an altar someplace in Beaver Creek, Ohio, probably. But that grace didn't stop that evening, did it? That grace keeps reaching. That grace keeps transforming. That grace keeps replacing itself with more of itself, doesn't it? That's the way it's supposed to be. It did not stop at that moment. It did not. It, it, it continues. So as we go about this, some of you right now need to understand that God's grace covers all of your sin. Every bit of it. Some of you who are hiding in the dark, hoping something doesn't get exposed... Because you know, things just aren't what they need to be. You know? <laughs> God's grace is reaching towards you. And some of us, we found ourselves this week even throwing accusation and stuff at people because they just didn't measure up to our standard of what we thought they ought to be doing. Today, the grace of God goes. Where are you in the equation? Can you imagine for a minute if every one of us would begin to operate in grace? Our homes would be different. Our workplaces would be different. Our community would be different. Our nation would be different. Our world would be different. Because it's hard for Satan to fight against grace and truth. He can't. As a matter of fact, he can't win. Just stand with me. Right now in this room, if you're here, you know the grace of God. The grace of God extends towards you. If, you are, if you're sin sick and you know it, you're lost without the person of Christ. Let me assure you, all of us are in the same boat you're in. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I just swallowed my gum. Um, got stuck right there. God's grace even falls on a goofy guy like me. Because I need his grace. It's a good thing I didn't choke. That was the grace of God. I just got stuck right there. I hope my appendix doesn't revolt against me. He extends his grace towards you. You need the grace of God in the form of salvation. He stands opening his arms wide towards you. You are lost without him, as were all of us. As are all of us. 
His grace, His gift is extended towards you. If you'll reach out, this song is playing, and go, Jesus, here I am. I need that grace that Aaron talked about. I need that love. I need to understand the truth, because I know my life is goofed up. I keep making the same mistakes over and over and over again. He'll meet you. This morning, if you're that husband, that wife, that Christian who messed up royal this week, and you've walked all week under condemnation and guilt, you're hiding in the shadows, the grace of God today is extending himself towards you in the person of Christ. He asks us to come near. Let's sing this song together. If you fall into that thing, won't you raise your hand and say, Jesus, I'm surrendering right now. Meet me where I'm. Give it over to Jesus right now. The darkness, the guilt, the sin. If you're in need of a supernatural dose of a wave of the water of Christ because you've become religious and not alive in Him, today, if you reach towards Him, He will pour in everything good. Let your chains fall off right now. Right where you stand. Yes, Lord. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Pour it in, Jesus, right now. Right where they sit, Lord Jesus. Right where they stand, God. You see the hands, you see the hearts, Lord Jesus. Listen to me. God's grace manifests itself in several ways. God's intention for, his, for you is for, listen, you to find hope. That's an extension of grace. His hope is for you to find healing. Body, mind, emotions, spirit. God's intention is for you to find purpose and strength, for your relationships to be restored, for your homes to be put back on the right track, and whatever extension of grace you need in this very moment. Thomas, play that again. We're going to listen to that one more time, and I want you to give, I want you to open up the door for the grace of God to come into you. In order for grace to be actualized, it must be expressed. But in order for it to be expressed and, and, and actualized, it also needs to be received. And so in this moment... Expect Jesus to meet you where you are right now. Lord Jesus, every life, Lord Jesus, every life got affected by the grace of God in this moment. Every lost one, every found one, Jesus, show yourself strong. God, bring healing where it's necessary. God, bring strength where it's necessary. Bring life where there's death. Bring wholeness where there's weakness. God, bring strength and provision, Jesus. Let, let every home be affected. If you need to come up here, just go on. You've got to come to the water. He says, anyone who thirsts, let him come to me. And I'll give him drink, living water. Soak it in right now. Drink it in. The grace of God. There's Jesus. Hmm. Listen to those words. You are right now. Right now. Yes, he has. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Young man, listen to me. Listen to me. Jesus knows. You let darkness into your life this week? It has not been the right sense. And you know you messed up, and he knows you messed up, but he extends grace to you right now. And what you saw 
on that screen you've not been able to get away from, he would tell you today, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Your chains can be gone today. Embrace the grace of Christ. He knows. He knows. He loves you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's sing it one more time. Sing it loud. Like you mean it. Like you know it's true. Yes. Yes, Lord. Yes, Jesus. Amazing grace. Listen to this last line. This is the hope we shoot for, the grace of God makes available to us. This is all temporary. Yes, he's calling. Jesus, let the grace that you give go with us from this place. God, let our perception be different. Let our hearts be different. God, as you took that finger and you wrote in those, etched in those stones, God, the law. Jeremiah writes that you would take the law from those stones and you would write a new law in our hearts. God, take your finger now in this place, Jesus, and by the grace that you have, write in us new things, God. Write in us new works, God. Write in us new grace. Write in us, Jesus, new blessing. Write in us, God, new purpose. Write in us, Jesus, a new day. Write in us, Jesus, everything new. Lord Jesus, we receive that from your hands. We walk in the power of it, Lord God. I pray you'd go with us. Let your light shine upon us. Let your face be upon us, Jesus. Let your power be upon us. Let the grace of God be with us and shield us in our way as we sang earlier. Lord, we bless you and we love you and we honor you. In the great and awesome and powerful name of Jesus, everybody say, amen.